this is The Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that The Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale, the nine-book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, D-E-B-B-I-M-A-C-K, Dot com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. Hi, everyone. Today's episode is kind of a special bonus episode. The podcast is between seasons, but today's guest is well worth squeezing in. This author has written more than 35 novels, three short story collections, and a nonfiction law book. He is a former journalist, attorney, and folk singer. Now, that's an awesome combination in my book. He's been nominated and granted numerous awards. And he's an international best-selling author. My guest today is Jeffrey Deaver. Hi, Jeffrey. Thanks so much for being here today. Hello, Debbie. Very happy to talk to you. Wonderful. So um, you worked um, in law. What kind of law did you practice? Uh, well, it, it's funny. <clears throat> People um, know I write criminal books, so they say, uh, well, Jeff, you must have been a, a criminal. <laughs> and I yeah. say, I represented banks. You draw your own conclusions from that. <laughs> I was a Wall Street lawyer and did represent banks, as a matter of fact, did mostly uh, finance law. But, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer and always wanted to write commercial fiction ever, ever since I was a young boy. And so I, um, I, 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 that was my career path. But I knew that rot, writers are not progenies. Uh, they, they need to live life a little while. You know, Mozart, I'm sure, was composing very young and Jackson Pollock was spattering paint on his mother's floor, probably at, at a young age. But um, I, I knew I was going to have to work and make money doing other things and live life a little bit. And so I picked journalism first, and then I decided to try law for a little while. And by the time I was in my 30s, and I felt I was uh, comfortable enough to begin writing popular fiction, I, uh, I quit those jobs. And that was uh, 30 years ago. I've been writing full-time now. Writing for 35 years, but writing full-time for uh, 30. It's almost eerie the way you're career path has been similar to mine. I used to practice law also. And when I quit, it was so nice to do what I really wanted to do, which was to write. Can um, I, it's a wonderful can I feeling. Hmm? Can I ask what, what type of law you practiced? I did different things. I started off with social security, doing disability uh, um, defense work, and uh, then worked at a law firm ended up in land use and uh, zoning, but then from there went to EPA and worked with the Office of General Counsel, which was a very interesting job. I think and it was fascinating. It was fascinating, but unfortunately, they moved the office to a place even farther from where I lived. Oh. I had to make a decision. So I decided to go into practice for myself for a while, which was extremely um, educational. 
It was. You picked up a lot of stories for books, don't you? Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, I, I could go on, but I won't. <laughs> I want to talk about you. Um, yeah, you worked as a journalist also. In what ways do you think your work as a journalist and a lawyer affected your writing? Both careers were extremely helpful. <clears throat> as a journalist, I learned how to write. And I went to the University of Missouri Journalism School, and we could not graduate unless we could pass with a 100% score um, a test on the book, The Elements of Style by Strunk and E.B. White. And so I learned um, grammar, syntax, punctuation, uh, style, uh, cold. I learned to write in a very pedestrian style. I think of the great writers like David Foster Wallace, no longer with us, sadly, Annie Prue, Cormac McCarthy, Saul Bellow. These are amazing stylists as they write. The words they put together are art in themselves, whatever they mean. But um, that's not really appropriate for the type of writing that I want to do. Now, I, I, I was a poet for a while. I guess I still write poetry occasionally. I, I kind of know how to make um, a, a book have a lyrical tone to it, but that's not appropriate. So I hearken back to my days in journalism when the sole goal of the written word was ease of communication between the author, the writer, journalist, and the, um, uh, the reader. So that's what journalism taught me. <clears throat> Law taught me something that has uh, stayed with me. It didn't come to me right away at the beginning of my writing career, but then I realized it and it's, uh, it saved the bacon and it's this. <clears throat> Whatever we see in the uh, TV and the, the movie shows, there are very few surprises in legal confrontations, as you well know, or a legal deal, uh, putting a, a, a business deal together. Everything's planned out ahead of time. Uh, the trial is outlined, the witnesses are known. There may be a surprise witness, but the judge lets the other side know and they, they can be a continuous. Um, so what the law taught me was for my books, I plan all my books out ahead of time. And I say, I didn't do this at first, I sat down with an idea that I thought was a good one and banged out the book and a couple of them either won or were nominated for some awards. But uh, there were kind of a struggle to write. I had, um, I had to backtrack a lot, throw out a lot of prose I'd written because I didn't know exactly where I was going. Well, then I thought, wait a minute, why don't I remember, remember what I did in law? Well. I'll just plan the, the book out ahead of time as if it were a trial. And I've done that ever since, and it saved my day, uh, saved the day. I, uh, I now outline extensively eight months. It took me to do the outline for The Goodbye Man, my, my latest Colton Shaw book. The outline was about 140 pages long, and it had every element of the plot, every uh, introduction of the character, every departure of the character, all the clues were seated in. And uh, it was just a, um, it's a, a lifesaver. And any, anyone who's uh, watching and or listening to this, uh, you know, this, this, this podcast, uh, remember, you need to know where you're going uh, before you write a single word. I agree with you completely. It helps a lot to have that roadmap for where you're going because it just saves you so much time in the long run. Um, let's see, you were also a folk singer. 
Tell us ah, a little yes. about your time as a folk singer. Well, I was not a uh, particularly good singer. I don't have the voice uh, for it. And uh, I, I'm not a natural born musician. I was a, a competent guitarist, but I, I didn't really care that much about the, well, I love to perform, let me put it that way. But what I really loved was, was writing songs because there's nothing like economy in writing. And there's nothing like putting words together in a way that is, um, you know, almost uh, poetic because songs are poems. Uh, they, they are, whether it's rap or a, a traditional ballad or even popular music, it's a, it's a poem. Uh, it fits a form and uh, the, um, the words often rhyme. They don't necessarily rhyme, but they often do. And that's kind of a challenge in itself. But, uh, and I wrote a number of songs and some, for, some were recorded, but finally, I, I'd forgotten all about that aspect of my life. I don't play anymore. I've got some, some arthritis. It's not terrible, but I can't play the guitar. Uh, a little painful to do that, so I gave that up. But I, I, I've always had in the back of my mind, God, I'd like to have an album. And so I wrote a book a few years ago called XO, and you can look it up in your, in your bookstore or Amazon or wherever. Uh, XO is in Hugs and Kisses. And it's about a stalker going after a young country Western singer, sort of a Taylor Swift kind of person. And so uh, what happens? But I say to myself, well, Jeff, you used to write songs, write an album to accompany the book, which I did. And I worked with a production team in Nashville and we recorded it. I wrote, a, it, the songs are very kind of Paul Simon-like. Um, they're uh, a country, a couple of country Western songs in there. And uh, some of the songs have clues as to what's really going on in the, the crime. So it was a lot of fun to a lot of fun to do. That's awesome. That's such a great idea. I love the way authors are incorporating music more in their brand, which is just fantastic. Because well, I love if you, music. If your listeners and viewers are interested, go to YouTube, type in Dever, my last name, D-E-A-V-E-R, and then um, the words your shadow in parentheses uh, in quotes. So it'll pick that up. And that that's one of the music videos that was done. From, um, from my uh, song. And you're That's just going to, and of course, it's kind of a creepy song, if you think about it. Because <laughs> it's a creepy book. Yes. Um, let's see. How many series have you written at this point? I've written uh, four series, actually five series, uh, two very early in my career. Uh, one featured a character named Rune, R-U-N-E. That's her nickname. Uh, the second was a uh, series about a location scout who traveled around the country to find uh, spots to make movies, and he got involved in crimes and played amateur detective. Uh, then, of course, there's the Lincoln Rhyme series, uh, starting with The Bone Collector. Then a series of four books featuring Catherine Dance. She's a, a body language detective in California. And now Coulter Shaw. Aha. Well, uh, yeah, tell us about Coulter Shaw. Um, who for some reason evoked images for me of the bounty hunter version of Travis McGee. <laughs> ah, well, interesting you say that because guess one of the uh, people who was uh, an influence on me, Travis McGee from the great John D. McDonald books. Um, Walter Shaw travels around the country in his Winnebago. Travis McGee had a houseboat, Walter Shaw's mm -hmm. a Winnebago, and he looks for rewards that have been offered by the police, by um, um, uh, prison authorities for a missing fugitive or by uh, civilians, maybe parents, who 
who cannot find their daughter who's gone missing for a day or two under circumstances in which the police really don't feel like they want to get involved or need to get involved. Maybe the child has run off and they don't have the resources to track all of those down. <clears throat> but the father, uh, mother, maybe of some means and offer a reward that Coulter Shaw goes after. Now, he's not a bounty hunter as such. He's not a bail enforcement agent uh, because those are the criminals that bounty hunters go after. They're pretty low level guys. They're not very sophisticated. A lot of warrant skipping for minor drug offenses. Coulter Shaw needs challenges in his life. Um, and a reward for a lot of money represents a challenge because the police haven't been able to solve it. The parents can't find the child. And so what Coulter Shaw does is he uh, uh, feels he needs to, to, to jump in the Winnebago and uh, can't sit at home anymore. He needs to be challenged. So he drives to the location where the fellow went missing and jumps on the uh, case. Now, he doesn't really care about the reward that much. The reward to him is like a... Um, um, it's like a red flag alerting him to a, a challenge. And uh, mm -hmm. sometimes he even forgets to take the reward. But he, and, and if somebody can't really pay it, he'll say, oh, give me half uh, or pay me on easy terms. That's great, with a great character. Um, I have to say, I started um, your book, your latest, The Goodbye Man, and I'm enjoying it very much. It is okay. so exciting. You open with such a great hook. <laughs> Um, let's see, what writers have inspired you most? Um, well, you mentioned John D. McDonald, Travis McGee, certainly him, Ian Fleming, uh, John Le Carre, um, Raymond Chandler, who as much as I, I, I love, I mean, he's an institution, uh, he was not really a plot-driven author. The, the plot's kind of, uh, he was, uh, but Marlowe and the characters he created uh, are just stellar. You want to spend time with them. Uh, and forgive me if I mentioned Dashiell Hammett before. Uh, the Thin Man series and lean books. I like that. Economical books. Um, I like uh, I like literary fiction. Uh, Theodore Dreiser. Uh, I like. Um, never a big Hemingway fan. I must admit, but I uh, I like Saul Bellow. I mentioned earlier. Probably my favorite literary writer. Uh, Thomas Harris, Silence of the Lambs, was absolutely wonderful, and um, uh, and Lord of the Rings. I loved uh, I loved the Hobbits. I'm, uh, I, I, some some people may never buy a book again of mine, and I have to say I have not read Harry Potter. I read <laughs> Harry Potter, but I didn't quite get into Harry Potter, and it may be my Lord of the Rings bent when it comes to fantasy. It's hard to uh, hard to get over that. It's hard to top Tolkien. Um... <laughs> Let's see, what advice would you offer to someone who would like to write for a living? I teach a, a course on writing. It's a, a four-hour course. We obviously don't have time to do that now. But what I will do is um, tell you, let's see, let me put it this way. I'll do, I'll say six things. And I'm actually serious about this. Uh, and your, um, your listeners, may want to jot this down or, or record it. And remember, if you, if you want to be a commercial fiction writer. And the, the first thing is that you, you need to write in the genre that you read. Don't think you're going to make a million dollars writing about vampires if you don't read vampire books. Um, number two, you need to know where you're going. 
you need to have the story planned out ahead of time. Uh, Joyce Carol Oates said, you can't write your first sentence until you know what your last sentence is. And uh, as I said, there are people who outline like me and there are people who don't. I think it's better to outline. I think it's easier to outline. Um, the next uh, uh, rule is to rewrite. Rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. I rewrite each book of mine 40 or 50 times before it goes to my publisher. And then I rewrite it significantly after that when I get their comments back. Um, then I would say, don't rush, take your time. Many potentially very good authors uh, do not end up being published or don't end up with the success they deserve because they, they race through the book to get it to the agent or the publisher and it's not ready to go. And when it's rejected, they race to self-publish. Nothing wrong with that, but you should at least exhaust every potential opportunity for traditional publishing before you self-publish. And uh, number five, you have to remember that um, rejection is just a speed bump. It's not a brick wall. You're gonna get rejected millions of times. Forget about it. I'm being facetious, it won't be moving. But you'll get rejected a lot. Just don't worry about it, keep going. And then the sixth thing I'm gonna tell you is that you need to write a book that moves. You need to write a book in which uh, you create living, breathing characters and every step of the way, they are confronted with questions that are not immediately answered and conflicts that are not immediately resolved until the end of the book or further along in the book. Uh, of course, the main plot, you're not gonna give the answer to who's the, the killer until the very end, but there will be conflicts along the way and you need to resolve those and keep those questions going. Don't answer them right away. End a chapter with a big question. Don't answer it in the next chapter. Answer it two or three chapters later, but make sure you answer all of them. So uh, that in a nutshell is my four hour course and uh, maybe I'm wasting time doing four hours. I could uh, charge my students a lot less and uh, we could go out for a beer afterwards if we just those six elements. Well, that sounds good. Um, let's see. I don't want to keep you too long because I promised to keep this to 20 minutes, I think. We have but, another. Uh, we've, got, we've got a few minutes left. I've got, uh, this is my, for your listeners who don't know, this is my book tour. It's a satellite interview. So I do one interview after another. And, uh, uh, so I know. Very fun to do, but you know, uh, so um, okay. So I will take the next few minutes to just say, um, do you have a favorite of the books you've written? I do. My book is uh, called Garden of Beasts. It's a thriller. It's set in Berlin in 1936 about a hitman with the mob in New York who's recruited by the uh, the government, our U.S. government, to go over to Germany and assassinate an aide to Adolf Hitler who is helping helping him rearm the country. Now, we knew then, it's historically accurate, we knew in 1936, which is when the Berlin Olympics occurred, that Hitler was a bad guy and he was going to um, extend the Nazi regime and do uh, very bad things. We didn't know what, we didn't know about the uh, concentration camps and the final solution at that point, but we knew he had some evil things in mind. And so um, we, um, the fact that we sent this man over to assassinate, that's my fictional take on it. But we meet real characters in the book, including Hitler, Göring, and Goebbels, and um, uh, some of the um, uh, more despicable uh, characters. And it, uh, it, it's won awards. It's a book that took me two 
years to write. And I will say that an elderly man came to one of my book signings, and uh, he was a, a Jew who escaped in 1936, just before Kristallnacht, which is when the uh, Nazis really showed their true colors and began burning books and destroying synagogues and, and Jewish uh, businesses. And he said it was the most accurate book about life in Berlin at that time that he had ever read. And uh, I brought the horror of this insidious movement as it seeped its way into um, people's lives to life in a way that he never read before. And that alone was better than any review I'd ever read in the sales figures. That just moved me very much. So that, in answer to your question, is my favorite book. That's fantastic. That's a great story. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? No, uh, I've enjoyed our conversation, Debbie. I, well, I will say this. So the Never Game was the first in the Coulter Shaw series. The Goodbye Man starts uh, one day after the Never Game ended and carries on some of that story. And the third book in the Culture Shaw series to be published um, fairly soon picks up exactly where the Goodbye Man ended. And that will be out, uh, I don't have a title yet, that will be out, as I say, soon. But next year, we'll have a new Lincoln Rhyme book. If you like the Bone Collector character, Lincoln Rhyme, uh, he'll be back. So uh, that's my shameless self-promotion. Go to jeffrey.com, <laughs> follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And on Instagram, you'll learn some of my favorite recipes as I do a cooking video or two. I love it. Gotta check it out. Well, thank you very much for being here. That's awesome, Jeffrey. And thanks so much. Um, thanks, it was really Debbie. nice really, to see you. Really stick enjoyed our conversation and I hope we do it again sometime soon. Thank you, me too. Um, stick with me for a moment because I want to talk to you after, um, just for a bit. Uh, just so you know, I also have a new book coming out. It's called Damaged Goods, the novella, and it introduces a new uh, series protagonist, Erica Jensen, who is a female Marine and unofficial invest investigator. Let's put it that way. And uh, in fact, uh, by the time this hits YouTube, it'll be out within days. And when it gets on the podcast, it'll already be out. So look for that. And finally, the podcast relies on your support to keep going. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll check out my Patreon page, where you'll find all the perks available to patrons from all levels of support, from a dollar up. Even a dollar a month helps. So thank you for all your support, patrons. And thank you for listening. Stay safe, stay well, and keep reading.